This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalized bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton podcast with me, Greg O'Keefe and Patrick Boyland. And today we're in a slightly different location. As you might have just heard, coffee cups clattering in the background. We've, um, we've gone on tour, or literally about 100 metres from Paddy's apartment where we normally record. Just try and give a bit of a Gazetta Italia feel. Paddy's going to whip out the uh, Gazetta Sport and start translating headlines in a minute. Um, so anyway... Bit of a change of scenery. Hope the background noise doesn't disturb you. Right, Paddy. Afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. It's a, um, obviously a different location for us today, uh, but it's nice to be in the in the heart of the city, isn't it? Uh, one of the places that a few of the Everton lads go to from from time to time on Bowl Street if they've, they've got a bit of time off, um, and obviously they do have a bit of time off at this moment in time. I don't quite think most of them are brave and the the cold, the aftermath of Storm Kira, and the oncoming Storm Dennis in Liverpool at the moment I think I mean we've seen Tom Davis and Dominic Calvert-Lewin in Manhattan haven't we riding around on the bikes Awobi, Pickford and a few of the others have been in Dubai so I think it's a winter break for us and I can actually feel the winter but for the players they get a, a nice few weeks to just kind of chill and take it easy don't they? Get your thoughts quickly on Tom and Dominic Calvert-Lewin's fashion choices are they, are they some sort of fashion week in New York? They've uh, some interesting pictures on Instagram isn't there? <laughs> There's always interesting pictures where those two are concerned. Um, I think there's an element, it's, a, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's an element of the fan base, very traditional element of the fan base, that doesn't like any element of showing off, showing out. I really don't care. I actually quite, I quite, quite enjoy it. I find it quite funny. It's nice that the two lads, for me at least, are expressing themselves and going out and having a good time. And it's interesting that these two have, have not picked to go and sit on a beach in Dubai or in another Marrakesh or, or wherever they want to go and instead decided to, to go downtown New York and have a cycle around and, and see the sights. It's kind of, it's, it's in keeping with the personalities of the two. Um, I mean, it's a debate I've, I've been having a few with a few of my mates. Um, slightly prefer Dom, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's fashion sense, to be honest. Maybe just a, a, a little bit kind of, a little bit more mainstream, tiny, tiny little bit more mainstream. And obviously Tom Davis is a bit out there, but like, I've not got the time or energy or in- inclination to get bothered about what they were to any reasonable extent. It might provoke a few elsewhere, though, and uh, it, it inevitably does, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does, but uh, I'm not one to be passing on any style tips, so let's move on from that. Um, we, let's talk about the Palace game. Uh, we, we, uh, we both predicted wins. Thankfully, we were right. Um, it wasn't a classic, really, was it? It was a case of, I think, Everton on the better side, um, had a little bit of a spell in the second half, still start the second half, but managed to weather it in a manner that I think was indicative of the, of the belief they've got under Carlo Ancelotti. And then, as we keep increasingly keep saying, kind of the game's lit up by a moment of brilliance from Richarlison. And um, nice to see Dom Carver-Lewin, as we've mentioned, get on the score sheet before the winter break as well. I did a piece after the game about his evolution into a poacher and 
the positions he's now taken up in the box, the more focused refinement of his movement, which is making sure he's in the right place at the right time more frequently. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was an important result, if not a brilliant performance. And for me, it was just nice to get that build, building on the momentum. It's not often we've had two wins consecutively this season. And you only, you only have to look at what it does at the table. Ergo, what do we end up writing for, for today on the website? A piece about the Europa League? Yeah, I mean, it, it was almost the perfect way, really, to round off that section of fixtures and take them into the international break. Confidence will obviously be high, a couple of wins on the bounce. And it wasn't by any means a stellar performance. I just think what it showed more than anything, actually, is that Everton just have more game winners, more match winners than Crystal Palace. You look at that Palace side, and I know Christian Benteke scored a goal, but I think it was his first in 34 matches or whatever, and very typical of Everton to give him that goal um, in, in bizarre circumstances. But... <sighs> Without, without Wilfred Zaha, they seem to lack a bit of inspiration, Palace. And they did have some important moments where they, they troubled Everton, they unsettled Everton, but didn't quite make that breakthrough at 1-1. Everton, by contrast, break the game open themselves, don't they, with a wonderful piece of individual play from Richarlison. And he's the kind of player Palace don't really possess. Everton have got a few of them now. You see a few of those guys emerging with a bit of credit. And Calvert-Lewin's another one he's taken. On the whole, he's taken most of the chances that come his way. Richarlison's breaking open the game at a crucial moment when Everton were a bit on the ropes. And there are other players chipping in now. Bernard Walcott starting to contribute goals and assists. So the picture looks an awful lot rosier than it did four or five weeks or more ago. Now Everton... Because of that win, it kind of feels like we can put them in a different bracket in the table. Before, they were kind of just your steady kind of mid-table plodders. But this win almost confirms them as being, at this moment in time at least, I would say a Europa League contender. They're only off five points, I think, off, off Chelsea in, in fourth. They're only three points off Sheffield United in, in fifth. And this season, it could go down to seventh. European qualification. So Everton are right in that hunt. And I would say even though they were really poor at the start of the season. Probably deservedly so, on the basis of what we've seen from Ancelotti. I don't know if you saw the stats. Of all Everton managers in the post-war period, he's got the best record after eight games. 17 points from 24. So this is an Everton side in form, and as we said in the piece, with two of the in-form strikers in the league as well. Yeah, that's totally... me heckles up after that. It was quite... One of the most positive summaries we've had after a game this season, full stop. Um, we spoke a little bit about Wilfred Zaha, didn't we, last week? Uh, I small part of me feared he'd come on and really turn it on at Goodison and have a huge say in the game, just because, you know, look what you might have had. And maybe if he was trying to keep his options open, maybe really trying to up his game to get a move in, in the summer. Not that I feel that Goodison would be his ideal place to be but he, he clearly wants to move, move doesn't he um, for me he turned on for about 20, 25 minutes for being charitable and looked really good caused us problems that said I thought Coleman did alright a couple of times certainly one time I remember he got the better of him Coleman sort of took the ball away from him and managed to get it out of a tight situation and, and clear it and it was just comfortably a 1-0 to Coleman in that respect but I think that's probably what would be frustrating about Zaha is, is natural ability is uh, in abundance, but it just seems to come in fits and spurts. Yeah, and I mean, we the, the precursor to the game last week in our podcast was 
was that kind of sliding doors moment where Everton don't sign Wilfred Zaha despite being interested initially and instead going for somebody like Alex Awobi. Very, very different players, of course, and you could still make the argument that Everton are lacking that kind of player to just kind of from the wings burst past op- opposition I know they've got Richarlison but Richarlison's playing off front Bernard's a different player Awobi's a v- very much a different player too so it, I did wonder whether it was going to come home and, and bite Everton on Saturday there were glimpses of course there were glimpses but it's another example of Ancelotti's astute kind of tactics and man management and game management in the Again, it was a horses for courses approach. It was almost as though he looked at Palace and went, well, the main threat comes from the left in Zaha. Who's my best defensive fullback? And I think Seamus Coleman was probably picked over Jabril Sadibi just because he is a little bit more solid positionally, a little bit better one-on-one. And while Sadibi's got lots of virtues going forward, maybe defending his own goal occasionally, he forgets where his back post is, he sometimes wanders out of position. You can't afford to do that against Wilfred Zaha, even if he's not on the game for 90 minutes. He can still do one or two things that kind of change the course, the direction and the outcome of a match. So Coleman, I think, did, on the whole, get the better of him. I think it it was a wise decision from Ancelotti. Not much within the team selection that you could massively question. I know people don't, some people don't like the Schneidlin and Sigurdsson axis, but there aren't a huge amount of options at Ancelotti's disposal. And I don't know about you, but I actually thought Morgan Schneidlin had one of his better games this season. He was one of the more composed f- figures on display in what must be said were horrendous footballing conditions. I'm at the risk of sounding like Jurgen Klopp here and talking about the wind, but it, it was making the ball kind of swirl around, wasn't it? And at times, I remember Gary Cale in the first half with the sun and the wind. He got on the ball and he completely lost sight of where he was and Calvert-Lewin nipped in and won a, won a relatively dangerous free kick. That happened time and time again, but Schneidlin was one of the more composed presences. He's had a little bit of a mini resurgence under Ancelotti. And at a time when Everton aren't blessed with midfield options, it's a very good time for him to do that. So, like we, like we mentioned in articles, like we mentioned on podcast, it does feel as though a few of these lads now who are on the periphery weren't key figures I kind of slowly putting the hands up and just saying well remember me I'm still around I can still do a job and they are doing a job under somebody that's getting the best out of them from a man management point of view yeah I totally agree I think unfortunately for players like Schneidlin and Sigurdsson particularly Schneidlin they're going to have to suggest that they can do more than just do a job if they're going to have if they want to be first team regulars I think the truth is that as soon as uh, Gomez is fit and, and JP Cabaman's fit, you'd imagine they're going to be starting. Um, and then you know Delph, of course, who was suspended for uh, for Saturday's game, but will be back available for the game at Arsenal. So um, yeah, you know. But at the same token, I do agree with you. I think Schneiderlin, it's it's been it's been a boost that he's come back into or he's been playing reasonably well at time and options have been so thin on the ground and I thought he had a decent game on Saturday and if that sounds mealy mouthed it kind of is because I think I hope for so much more from him and for his first four or five months in Everton player I saw so much more Um, I don't know what changed it was a bit bewildering really seeing to just go backwards but you know we can talk about that uh, until the cows come home really Let's uh, let's quickly talk about the break, and I suppose Gomez is, is is an apt one because 
we were chatting before we started to record, weren't we? This is um, a great time, really, for the break to happen because it just gives that extra period at Finch Farm for, for Andre to, to get more intensive rehab. I guess it's more fitness work at the moment with a view to possibly being in the squad for, for the game at the Emirates. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody as yet has discounted the prospect, completely discounted the prospect of Gomez at least travelling to, to Arsenal and being part of the squad on February 20, 23rd. I mean, that's and it, in saying that, that's absolutely staggering, really, when you think that he only sustained that injury against Tottenham. What was it? Late November? Yeah. Late November against Tottenham. Awful challenge from Son, compounded by Sergio Aurier's momentum. At that point in time, from the reactions of the players, it looked like this was going to be a serious thing that could potentially have been career-threatening, season-threatening, a, a combination of those two things. But he's, he's way ahead of a track. I mean, one source suggested to me at least two or three weeks ahead of where they expected him to be at this moment in time. Ramping up his recovery at Finch Farm every day, kind of increasing the workload to get back to where he, he is. I think Everton are trying, still trying at this moment in time to organise a behind-closed-doors game for him at Finch Farm where he could hopefully get 60 to 90 minutes under his belt and put himself in contention for Arsenal. It'd be far-fetched to suggest, wouldn't it, that after all that time out, that he'd be able to come in and hit the ground running against Arsenal, be in the starting line-up and, and kind of completely dominate that midfield. But it is good that Everton are looking at phasing him back in gradually, give him another option. And I just feel as though, at the, given the options at Ancelotti's disposal at the minute they're not, they're not fantastic I'd, I'd say they're pretty, pretty average Premier League options at this moment in time somebody of Gomez's quality particularly on the ball when we're talking about fast vertical passing and the need to break the lines he's the one that you immediately think of as being suited to that kind of Ancelotti system it's really exciting the prospect of having him back from the point of view of, of being a fan but also being a journalist and thinking this guy has seemingly come from nowhere in terms of his rehab to just kind of mount this fantastic recovery and you almost compare it don't you inevitably with Gabamin who we thought would be back way before now and yet we're not expecting to see for another month and a half probably given the the, the immediate um, estimations over his recovery so a big boost for Everton the break as you say it comes at a perfect time in terms of getting him ready fit and available and while Everton were kind of generating a bit of momentum with results I think it does do them a bit of good to regroup for Ancelotti to ponder a few things. But it's not like every, everything has been perfect. I can look at some of the wins so far against sides that aren't elite sides in this league. You think of even the draw against Newcastle, the capitula capitulation against Newcastle, the win away to Watford and the victory over Palace. There are points in each of those games where Everton did lose control and where if things had been slightly different, a result could have been different and they could have, could have changed the outcome of the match Everton do have players that are winning games and taking chances at the moment so it is less likely to happen but I still feel you look at that part of the, the team central midfield and think they're not, they're not completely dominating proceedings they, they, they don't look like that side with the swagger under Martinez in the early days and Koeman in the early days where they were just dominating they were just com completely 
keeping hold of the ball, carving out chances, all that kind of stuff. It almost feels like a different way of going about things. And I think that's that's the where the biggest area of Im- improvement can come because they did get bullied a bit against Watford. They did get bullied a bit against Newcastle. And at times against Crystal Palace, it, it seemed as though they were a little bit swamped in there as well, in that 4-4-2. It gives Ancelotti a lot to ponder, but he can ponder those things over the break here. He can have a think about what's going to come when Gomez is back in the picture, when Delph is is back in in the frame as well after suspension. And it leaves him with a really interesting dilemma. He's got four or five options for for two, but no standout options, I would argue. So I'm intrigued to see where he goes with it, to be honest. Yes, so am I. I thought it was interesting when they showed signs of maybe losing the way against Palace. He brought Davies on and went with five in midfield, especially without the ball anyway. So that's the first time I've seen a 4-5-1 effectively from him, um, which I'm glad we don't see it often, but it did. It showed his tactical flexibility, I think. Um, and I think with the ball, it, was, it changed to more of a 4-3-3-ish, but Davies was definitely dropping in um, to make it a, you know, an extra man. And it seemed to help us weather the storm, really. So that was a... Again, credit to Ancelotti. When you mention that run of games, and you, I totally agree, we have it's been an imperfect run in the sense of there've been moments of those games when we've looked like we might mess it up. I, I just feel such a twinge of regret over Newcastle at home because if you have those extra three points, which absolutely should have been Everton's, then then you really are hot on the coattails of Sheffield United and even more further thrust into a Europa League spot. But, you know, we can't do anything about that now. The piece we've done on the side today about the Europa League, we really kind of sort of looked to try and drill into the numbers about, you know, why it's useful to be there. Well, not more than useful, why it's really important for Everton to be there um, and the chances of them getting there. I think we, we said to me it's like 61.4 points has been like the average of the past five seasons for, for getting into the Europa League. But I had... I actually think you could get into it with a lot less this season. I think Burnley got into it with like 54 um, a couple of seasons ago. I, I think it could be, you, you might only need sort of 50-odd points to get into it this season, to get get seventh, sixth or seventh. Um, you know, Everton have got how many points? About 36 left to play for over 12 games. So it feels doable. It feels, am, am I getting wildly optimistic? It feels really doable now. Well, the first thing to point out, obviously, is that, like we were saying, Ancelotti's record over the last eight games puts Everton second in the form table. Now, there was only really Manchester City of the top six uh, that they faced, and they will obviously inevitably have to to play some of those big guys. I think it's the next four are all very difficult games, aren't they? On, on paper, Arsenal away, Manchester United at home, Chelsea away, Liverpool at home kind of a sight for sore eyes when you look at the fixture list a little bit and there are other difficult games to come Wolves and, and other sides Leicester Southampton, Southampton even at Goodison I think Southampton are, are starting to pick up a little bit so it, it's not an easy set of fixtures but Everton are the form team in that chasing pack from the numbers Ancelotti has improved them it's quite clear they're better at both ends of the pitch now slightly more secure defensively slightly more um, prolific and clinical going the other way so there is that sense of momentum like you're saying I, I, I do tend to agree with you I think what we're seeing in the Premier League this season and partly it's why some people are saying that it's 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 a poorer quality than in the past is that you've got two outstanding teams at the top 
a couple of really poor teams at the bottom but then everybody in the middle is kind of bunched and much of a muchness anybody can beat anybody I mean you wouldn't be surprised if Norwich went and Norwich and they're, they're, they're one of the poorer teams they went to, to Old Trafford and won for example it, it, these things just, just happen at this moment in time and everybody takes points off everyone so the, it's very rare that you, you see a side outside of the top two or three sustain a really good run of form win back to back games over an extended period of time accumulate all those points and that's why I think it will be a lower points tally as you're saying somewhere in the 50s 4th, 7th you would think 4th, 5th around the 60 mark Everton are on what 36 after after 26 games if, if I'm right uh, that's off the top of my head so apologies if if I'm I'm slightly out on that um, so, so you would have to assume they are in the equation along with pretty much everybody down from Chelsea Chelsea down to kind of Everton um, Spurs Arsenal Sheffield United are firmly in the running as well um, at the moment the momentum is with Everton but they're going to have to beat some of those sides to, to get into the um, into Europa League equation Sheffield United away late on in the season Arsenal coming up Manchester United coming up Chelsea coming up those sides that they are going to have to beat and it is important I mean when we were gathering the research for the piece it became apparent that this was important from a financial perspective but also a sporting perspective for those that haven't read the article or are potentially interested in reading the article, what were your main takeaways when we were we were looking at why this would be so significant, even just to qualify for the Europa League? I just think it's been a while since I'd kind of looked at the the money making potential of the Europa League, and look, obviously for fans, and it's it's about so much more than that. It's about the prestige of being back in Europe. Okay, it's not the Champions League, but it's a competition that still has a certain allure. You're still playing against good sides, you know, historic clubs. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if you can progress and some of the Champions League sides drop into it, again, it makes those fixtures really potentially attractive. But there was once a time when I think it would have been, and I remember yeah, I was covering Everton in a, in a past life for a, different, um, for a different publication. And it was almost dismissed as a money-making uh, venture, being in the, the UEFA Cup as it was then. It just didn't do much. I think that's changed and evolved as TV rights have, have, have altered. And also the likes of Man U and Chelsea and Arsenal have been more often than not in the Europa League. So I think the quality of clubs in the Europa League has improved the competition as it's gone hand in hand. But the actual money yeah, so the first thing I would say is definitely the money because do you remember off the top of your head I know you, you looked at that didn't you but it's, it, we're not, it's not like cha- loose change is it there's significant revenue to be made there's commercial opportunities and, and for coming on the back of a probably a, one of the worst set of accounts in many ways in a long time certainly in terms of the, uh, the net loss um, it, it's a welcome it's, it's a welcome competition to be in to try and address especially with financial fair play hovering over us yeah I mean looking at last season's sums obviously Chelsea and Arsenal got to the final in Baku and Chelsea recouped about £39 million from the campaign without gate receipts without factoring in gate receipts Arsenal around 32 and I think as a, as a loose sum you probably earn somewhere between 12 to 16 million just for being in the group stages and obviously there's prize money for every win you can bring in extra gate receipts people and sources that we spoke to spoke about how when you are advertising the club to brands 
they themselves are looking at the markets that you can infiltrate. So at the moment, Everton play in the Premier League, and obviously that's a lucrative market. But then if you're, you've got a, a shirt that's visible in Europe, on the continent to loads of other different TV markets against the German side or against a, a Spanish team or a Polish team, where, wherever you want to go, then you become an even more attractive um, pros- proposition to um, kind of prospective sponsors. And it's, it's not just the kind of the, the financial side, which is obviously a big thing for Everton at this moment in time, given where they're at with financial fair play. There is a real appetite, we know, within Everton... And, and within the first team, and Carlo Ancelotti shares this, to get back into Europe, it's seen almost as a kind of stepping stone to the Champions League. Part of like a, a progression, year-on-year progression, to get back to where they want to be or where they believe they should be. I think it's something that helps, attract pl- with, helps when you're trying to attract players. It's something that they're going to need when they move into the new stadium. So from... For, for a whole load of reasons, it just makes an awful lot of sense. And I, I kind of get that. I mean, some people I've spoken to, have, um, this mates, not people at Everton, some of my mates have said to me, well, I think it's a bit too soon. It's a bit too soon with this group of players. Not so long ago, it looked like we were going to be fighting a relegation battle. What makes you think we could challenge on yet another front and play another game every week? I kind of get that. I, I kind of get that concern. But I almost think you've, you've got to, given where Everton are financially and in a sporting sense, you've got to push the boundaries. You've got to aspire to be something better than you are. The Europa League would help Everton do that in a number of ways. And then you reevaluate at the end of the season what you need to do in the transfer market. If Everton are, are qualify for Europe, then they're going to need to look at having two players for every position. Marcel Brand's mantra of 23 squad players... Um, and, and kind of take it from there. You, the people in charge aren't silly. It's, uh, we're talking about Marcel Brands, we're talking about Carlo Ancelotti. They would, they would have to prepare and they would know how to prepare Everton for Europa League campaign. I just don't think Everton can, or any, any position, to turn the noses up at this. And then it becomes purely about football matters. Can they beat, can they win out against Sheffield United? Probably. They, I'm sure they, sure they could in certain circumstances. Can they win out against Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham? Um, some of those other sides in and around the uh, the Europa League places, um, but I hope they do. I hope they do because I, th- I think it will provide a boost on a number of fronts to the club. And I think another thing that it does, whether or not in the end Everton make it um, or not, is I think it makes the r- the run in of this season. There's still a meaningful element to it. There's still a, there's still competition. There's still something to be gained, something tangible reward at the end of it rather than what's, let's face it what's happened the last couple of seasons which is we're still out of the cup comp- competition regardless mm-hmm. and then you're just hoping to finish 8th or ninth or there and thereabouts and it really doesn't help you you know sort of I mean Goodison sell out is an incredible factor really that, that just underlines the loyalty of Everton's fan base the competitive and brilliant pricing of the club at Goodison Park um, and, and that's something which has been consistent but nevertheless it's, uh, it doesn't help you, for example, to get televised games. It doesn't help you to maybe be, you know, in, in the arguments of wider media and be as a, a higher profile brand when it comes to even your summer recruitment. Yeah. I think some players would be more interested to come to a club that's in the Europa League than one that isn't. So 
being in the chase for it right to the wire, it gives it added interest to going away to Sheffield United or to play in Southampton at Goodison Park. All those games have a little bit more meaning. So let's hope that that, that meaning is right until the end of the season and we, we just manage to get over the line. The Athletic Podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic and fill in a style quiz to tell them all about your personal style, budget, size and shape. The personal stylist will send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked, especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just a tenner which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free both ways. You don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's stitchfix, S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk forward slash athletic. Paddy, you are off to IC Amsterdam yeah. tonight yeah. to speak to drumroll Johnny Heisinger, the World Everton's World Cup finalist, former midfielder. Um, you know, I remember covering again when I was at the Echo covering Everton. Heisinger was there under Moyes, and it was like he really he came with a big, big reputation. He, I think he had some really good spells in his Everton career. Maybe on the whole, flattered to deceive a little bit, but I think. At the same time, for me, you know, he was someone you could rely on at centre back. He was had his attributes there, and also he, he did more than did the job in midfield. Um, interesting character. I'm sure you'll you'll see this when you speak to him. Quite measured, quite typically Dutch in the sense that he's very laid back and you know, th- thoughtful with his answers. And you know, um, hopefully, he's a really interesting one to sit down with. Yeah, I think he's an interesting subject. I mean, you, you look back at his time at Everton and his his first full season at the club. He's player of the season performs really well both at centre back and in defensive midfield forms something of a hard man image and gives there are quite a lot of memorable moments I mean I I don't know about you but I'll always remember him barging into Ashley Cole at Stamford Bridge when Ashley Cole was about to take a penalty in the in the FA Cup um, whenever someone playing in that lovely kind of just off white away away kit um, lovely yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing with those with the kind of the hoop socks and Leighton Baines in wearing the the shirt with the collar and putting a free kick over the wall in the last minute to, to just take Everton to penalties. Uh, so I think he is an interesting subject from that point of view. But since leaving Everton, he's also done interesting things too. So at the moment, he's Ajax under nineteen coach within that famous academy. So I think it'll be interesting to speak to in terms of his football and philosophy, remembering Everton getting sent off in a World Cup final, which is, I mean, I think he was only the fifth player to get sent off in a in a World Cup final, emulating Zinedine Zidane, among other people. And like you say, kind of a typ- typically forthright Dutchman with, with regards to his personality and his and his persona. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. It gives, it gives, gives us another opportunity to look back at good Everton sides not amazing Everton sides but good Everton sides uh, speak to interesting people uh, and visit a nice city as well uh, hopefully at a time when it 
it may be cold, but it's not going to be absolutely freezing. And the, net, the, the latest in a long line of storms isn't yet <laughs> upon us, fingers crossed. So, uh, so yeah, I'm lo- looking forward to that. What do, what, I mean, you, you were around Everton much more when he was there, uh, certainly than I was. What did, what did you make of his spell as a whole? How, how do you think fans will look back on him? In my head, there's a slight tinge of disappointment that he never truly kicked on. But is that fair, do you think, looking back at it, back at it journalistically as well? It's a good question. I think that's probably why I sort of said, when you know, when I was chatting a minute ago about my memory of him, it's just, I just think, I, I, given his reputation, his undoubted ability, I just hope for a little bit more, I think, overall. Um, I don't think he'll be looked on in any means as like a, an Everton great. Um, I think he had real competition. I mean, there was real competition for centre-back places then. He thinks you had Sylvan Distan in his prime, Phil Jagielka, Heitinger, so, say Jags was starting most weeks, wasn't he? Then it was between Heitinger and Distan, and it was a really tough fight and fantastic strength and depth when you think you could pick between them. Um, it was one for me that maybe Sylvan had the edge in, in some ways, just physically. Although, again, I have to say, in, in sort of now and again in pre season, seeing Heitinger in the gym, he wasn't like a, the tallest centre back in the world, but he was an absolute physical specimen and incredibly strong. Um, probably my most vivid memory of him was like my first game covering Everton for the Echo and I think it was his debut uh, it was Hull away and we, we was, I remember stood there in the tunnel in the Casey Stadium and, and he'd stopped to do an interview and we were both as shell-shocked as another because Everton had been beaten 3-2 by Hull Phil Brown's Hull and we're both probably thinking in the back of our minds this wasn't how it was supposed to, supposed to go on our respective debuts um, it was, yeah, that was a dark, a dark moment. But no, overall, he was part of a great side, sorry, a good side, which had moments of greatness, especially, you know, in the Europa League and in the cup competitions. And um, I think there'll be fond memories of him. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading that, the piece that, that comes from it. Um, the lads are obviously, as you said, sunning themselves, but they are back uh, starting next week, is it? Right, okay. And uh, Arsenal's up next. So there's still so much to play for. And that run of games you mentioned is going to be a real challenge. But on the flip side, what it, what it gives us the opportunity to do is to take points off those other sides who do want to get in the Europa League ahead of us. So if we could come out of those four games with, say, um, a couple of wins or a win in two draws, I think, which is I think is eminently doable, um, then that puts us in, in a really strong position to, to click on. Yeah. It's funny we were talking about Burnley. Before. We didn't mention Burnley in the Chase Europa League, and kind of understandably so. But they're on, currently on the same points as Arsenal. That just shows you how nuts the table is, really. Yeah. Uh, and I know Michael Cox, our, our place, did a piece in the week, and he was arguing, which I, f- I found it a really interesting piece. It's well worth checking out. That counterintuitively to everyone saying the Premier League's rubbish outside the top two. It, it's it's actually never been so competitive kind of what you were saying really earlier yeah. apart from okay there's a couple of sides right near the bottom who, who aren't so competitive but still um, yeah. so uh, let's go with, with Coxie's take on it really I like yeah. to think that uh, just even those middling clubs have got a better standard of players have got a fan they've been established in the Premier League Brighton's an example they got rid of Chris Hewton because they didn't want to just play the percentages they didn't want to be well drilled and play long balls they wanted to play progressive football they brought in Potter and there's an aim to be as you said to be better than they are so it's not just Everton who are trying to do that it's all different types of clubs in, in that sort of middling group um, but yeah I totally agree we're the ones in form and long may it continue um, so 
thanks very much for listening to this one I, I do hope that the, the coffee shop setting hasn't been too distracting for you um, we've enjoyed it Rope and Twines haven't we it's been I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see how I mean because there is background noise obviously but there's also music playing I'm intrigued to see how much of this comes through when I listen back to the, the podcast hopefully it gives people a bit more of a soothing kind of feel there's a nice amb- ambience and there's also something like we were saying earlier about just recording in Liverpool City Centre being close to the heart of where everything is where a few of the Everton lads like to come themselves so it's a nice place if anybody lives locally and wants to wants to check it out but I think once the drilling close to my apartment stop, stops we'll actually be able to go back and record in a, in a proper setting eventually won't we well, before, before we leave we'll have to get someone to take a selfie because we've both got our uh, paisley suits on and our top hats haven't we so we'll have to get, get that online quickly um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back, of course, next week to talk a little bit about maybe Paddy's uh, piece with Heitinger. I think that's definitely one to look out for at the start of the week and the preparation for the Arsenal game. Thanks for listening.